0: This is Vision Sunday, part two. Um, exciting moment where we invite the church um, to an all in spirituality, not a, a kind of partially in, in when I'm feeling it. Um, an all in spirituality, not a half hearted spirituality, but a whole hearted spirituality. The spirituality we see present in the early church as we read the book of Acts. So that's what we're inviting people towards. Um, so before we launch in, let's pray. Spirit, we honour your presence in the room. We thank you that you are moving in our hearts, wooing us towards the person of Jesus. And Lord, we pray that something would capture our hearts this morning, that we would take a step more towards this all-in spirituality that you desire for us where we hold nothing back. We take up our cross each day and give everything for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of his kingdom cause. So come and move in this place. And all God's people said? Amen. Okay, so this is a recap of of last week. We did three things. We looked back with gratitude, um, sharing some of the stories and the signs of God at work in and through our church community. If you didn't pick up one of these, can I encourage you, um, pick up a copy on your way out, take it home, read it, put it somewhere where you're going to spend some time reading. For me, that'd be the toilet, for others, it's elsewhere. But put it somewhere you're going to read it. There's some incredibly encouraging stories. So we looked back with gratitude and this is the power of gratitude. It stirs up the gift of faith. And with that faith, we began to look forward to some of the, the priorities ahead of us in this new season. So we named six priorities Number one, um, how we respond to this cost of living crisis. We as a church want to rise up with compassion. This is going to be a key priority for us. Number two, we want to invest in the cafe downstairs. We want it to be more than just a great gift to us on Sundays and more than just a great gift for those that use the building and the ministries and the projects downstairs. We want it to be a beat beating heart of evangelism, where people throughout the week, when they come in, they're not talking about the taste of the coffee, they're talking about the taste of the kingdom of God that they've experienced in this place. So we want to invest in the cafe downstairs. Thirdly, my wife Bee mentioned this, we want to invest in our children's work and youth work. The current stats in the Diocese of London is 0.5% of 11 11 to 18 year olds go to church, 0.5, one in every 200 kids. That should shake us up and wake. Us up. At least there should be a call to pray, get on our knees, and contend for a move of the spirit. And we want to prioritise that. Number four, we want to take spiritual formation very seriously in this season. We want to invest in our hub communities, our pattern communities. Number five, there are some resources emerging in our church community that we want to be a gift to the wider church. So we need to invest some energy into those resources to give them out more widely. And number six. Um, there's always going to be church planting on our horizon as a church. We've sent out multiple plants in the last few years, and we know there's going to be incredible opportunities ahead of us. We need to raise up leaders. We need to raise resources. We need to get people ready and take hold of these planning opportunities that will emerge. Those are our priorities. Incredibly exciting. And then we invited the church to act now with generosity. So we are trying to raise two hundred thousand um, pounds in the next few weeks, months and the next year through a mixture of one-off giving um, and pledges for regular giving over the coming years. So that might sound like a lot, particularly in the midst of a cost of living crisis, But we have a model of a church that's emerged and risen up in a moment like this. Um, And I want to highlight this model to you. So if you've got a Bible, for both of you that brought your Bibles with you, why don't you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Otherwise, turn your Bibles on and you can turn to this passage. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, celebrating the church of Macedonia. Like This is like healthy competition. It's like, do you want to know what the Church of Macedonia is doing? They are absolutely nailing it in the area of generosity in the Church in Corinth. They're like, really? Really? I, well, we can compete. We're going to be generous. Um, there's not much of that, but maybe some of that going on in this passage. So Paul says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you in Corinth to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. A cost of living crisis, you might say. In Jerusalem, heavy persecution and heavy suffering. There was a famine. There was a severe trial the church in Jerusalem were walking through. So in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, what beautiful language, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. That's a sign of revival when people are begging for the opportunity to give. Can we have another offering? Can we just have another moment, another opportunity to give? We're really desperate to give. That's what was going on in the church in Macedonia. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord in worship and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. You excel in pretty much everything, in faith and speech in knowledge in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindred in you. See that you also excel in this grace of Giving. So if you look at the screen, I've highlighted the key parts. Number one, there was a grace upon the church in Macedonia. In other words, an anointing, a favour that was resting upon them that enabled them to operate with incredible generosity. And Paul's basically saying to the church in Corinth, ready yourselves, that grace can fall upon you. Open yourself to this gift of the Spirit. Then he highlights this very severe trial and here's how you rise up in a severe financial trial. Here are the ingredients. Overflowing joy, Extreme poverty equals rich generosity. These are the economics of the kingdom of God, right? Now to our ears, because we're immersed in other stories of economics and other worldviews, and we basically say what you really need is a full pocket. It doesn't really matter if you have an empty heart. If there are full pockets, it will overflow in rich generosity, right? That what will happen is, is these resources, trickle down economics, these resources will begin to flow down and reach the many, And it doesn't work, right? Because the hearts are empty. They're not full of compassion. They're not full of generosity. And Paul says the economics of the kingdom are very different. You can have empty pockets and full hearts, and that's enough for rich generosity, right? Empty pockets, extreme poverty. Full hearts, overflowing joy. And when you have those two, there will be rich generosity. I know there'll be a number in the room thinking, I I, I couldn't possibly give. I'm not in a a place financially where I could give. In other words, I'm experiencing some measure of, of poverty. And Paul would say, no, don't rule yourself out. That's the economics of the world. The economics of the kingdom of God feel a little bit different. Even with empty pockets where there are full hearts, it will well up in rich generosity. That's the church we want to become. We want to shine like stars in the universe at a time of scarcity... We want to put our faith in the God of abundance and begin to live differently. So, what does biblical live giving really look like? One second, I'm on the wrong set of slides. Um, that's the short and 12 o'clock service. I'm, I'm treating you to the full whammy of the um, the 10 a.m. Um, there we go. Some of you are like, please, I want the 12 p.m. version, the 10-minute version. No, you're getting the full one. Um, so question, why is the practice of giving so central to our discipleship? Here's the thing about spiritual practices. Spiritual practices, the end goal of the spiritual practice isn't to master the spiritual practices. like Whether it's Sabbath or giving or biblical reflection and memorization of Scripture, the end goal isn't to master the discipline. The end goal is union with Christ, and participation in his purposes. And it's exactly the same with giving. So here's the story, eh? a summary of the story. There are better summaries of the story, by the way, um, creation, -creation, decreation, recreation. But let's just use this one for a moment. This is how some theologians summarise the narrative. Creation, fall, redemption, renewal. And this is a story of generosity, by the way. So creation is an Act of generosity from the overflow of God's heart, He creates humanity in His image and likeness. He places them in a garden of abundance. It's a story of generosity. But we know sin enters the story and created order unravels. And this is Paul in a letter to the church in Rome highlighting what went wrong. Listen to the language, Romans 1.21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks. This is Paul basically saying, if you, if you want to know where things went wrong, they stopped glorifying God. They stopped giving Thanks. When gratitude dies, it's a slippery slope into decreation, into darkness. There's something about gratitude that connects you, connects you to God the giver. You find a person who's constantly saying, God, all glory to you, I give you praise. That's a person experiencing daily intimacy with Jesus. So creation, fall, redemption, is a story of radical generosity god giving himself fully taking on human flesh living for us dying for us rising for us and perhaps the best known verse in scripture john 3:16 for god so loved the world that he gave. fantastic reading for god so loved the world that he gave redemption is an act of generosity because this whole story is a story of generosity. Creation, for redemption, renewal. How do we become agents of redemption, agents of renewal? And the answer is by imaging God to the world. We are the image bearers of God. We want the world to know what God is like. God is radically generous and through our generosity we show the world what he is like and we become agents of renewal. That's the story we belong to. It's a story of generosity. So, what does biblical giving look like? Well, I want to talk you through some of the Old Testament mindset of giving that follows through into the New Testament. There were basically two big feasts that the Jewish community would celebrate each year when it came to giving. There were other feasts, but two that focused on giving and generosity. The first one was called the Festival of Fruits. Now, just when your crops were beginning to ripen, just when the first part of the harvest was emerging, you'd gather the crops and you would take them to the temple in Jerusalem and you would offer them to the high priest. So you would bring your grapes, the wheat, the barley, Like the best part of your produce, the the first fruits, the first crops to ripen, and you would bring it. And as you offered it to the high priest, you would tell and recount the story of God's faithfulness to Israel. So you'd be carrying all this produce. God, you've been so good to us. Like you liberated us from the Red Sea. Like you provided water in the wilderness. You provided manna, like bread from heaven and those quails, those little duck things. We loved that. You looked after us. You enabled us to cross the River Jordan. You brought down the walls of Jericho. You overcame the giants in the land. You settled us in this land. And we are so grateful. We are so grateful. Because the people knew the story that when you disconnect yourself from God's generosity, that's the slippery slope into darkness, right? When you disconnect yourself from the generous God, things go horribly wrong. So every year, they would bring the best of their produce because they wanted to remain grateful, connected to God the giver. Here's the thing about gratitude then. I've mentioned it connects us to God the giver. It kills a mindset of self-sufficiency. When someone gives you a gift, they're basically saying, you need this, right? I I want to bless you with this. And it reminds you in the core of your being, you need others. And you need what they might have to offer you. It kills a mindset of, I can do all of this. Don't worry about me in presence. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. It kills the mindset of self-sufficiency. And more than that. It creates a posture of expectation. I find this pretty often in the church, that people have a mindset still. They're living in the kingdom story, but there's a sanctification of the mind that needs to happen. They still are expecting bad things to happen to them all the time. They live with this kind of posture of bracing for impact. I'm expecting bad things. There's something about this posture The posture of a child waiting to receive gifts that develops a mindset of, I'm expecting goodness to arrive at my door. Like I know the nature of the God that I worship. I want to develop a mindset, a posture of expecting to experience the goodness of God. Some of us need a renewal of the mind where we're expecting bad things all of the time to, Lord, train my mind to expect to experience your goodness. Um, and your generosity. So they start with gratitude. They give the the first fruits of their land. Then there's a seven-week period before the second festival, the festival of Pentecost or the festival of weeks. Um, Now, that seven-week period was the most volatile in the climate of Israel. So you could have seven weeks of scorching heat. In other words, drought conditions which would scorch the crop. Or you could have a downpour like intense levels of rain that would drown the crop. So when you'd given the best of your land, the best of your produce, there was no guarantee in seven weeks' time there'd be anything uh, left. It's fairly high-risk strategy. So this mindset, this seven-week period, was a way of saying to God, we've given you the best, and we are trusting you for the rest. Like, we've given you the best, And we're in this moment of vulnerability. We are trusting you for the rest. This is why when people give financially to the church, more often than not, they give their 10% or whatever they give at the first bit of the month, the front end of the month, basically saying, God, I'm giving this to you and I'm trusting that you'll provide and look after me, right? There's a mindset of dependency. Here's the thing about faith. It creates intimacy, When you need something, you draw near to someone who can meet that need. This is the story of Israel in the wilderness. They come close to God. They need the bread, the manna, every day. Like they need the quail. They need the water so they come close and they begin to pray. Like give us this day our daily bread. Every day we need you. That mindset creates intimacy and it creates a dependency. In other words, a faith that moves the heart of God. It says in Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The implication is that level of dependency, it pleases God. And that which moves the heart of God moves the mountains that stand in our way. Right? That which moves the heart of God moves the mountains that stand in our way. Jesus said, with faith, dependency as small as a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain that stands in your way, move it into the sea. Like, move out of my way. Like this is faith and giving is one of the disciplines that fans into flame the gift of faith. Listen to these words from Malachi. This is the only time in scripture where God says, go on, test me, put me to the test. Woo, punchy. Bring the whole tithe, the tithe was the first fruits, the 10%, the first bit of your land. Bring it all into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Go on, see if you can outgive me. I dare you. See if you can outgive me. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Like every year, go on, test me. Fine, we will. The nation of Israel giving their 10% and then ending with abundance. Faith is the pathway to fruitfulness. And maybe some of us haven't stepped into fruitfulness in this area of our life because we haven't learned the path of faith, dependency. God, I'm trusting you to give me each day my daily bread. Jesus builds on this. He says, Give. And it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken, not stirred, running over, will be, I I make that gag every every time I read this passage, it never lands in the room. That That was my bond, shaken, not stirred, but anyway, let's move on. Will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Can you hit the same heart in Jesus? Like, go on, just test this. You give... And see if you can outgive God. Give and it will be given to you. This mindset of faith creates abundance. So they give the the first ten percent. That's gratitude. They're trying to remain connected to the generous God. Then they want to live by faith, inhabit the seven weeks with a mindset of God will look after us. We're not trusting in our own resources. God will look after us. And then at the end of the seven weeks, at the end of 49 days, on the 50th day, hence Pentecost, on the 50th day, the barns would be full and they would celebrate and have a party and there would be drinking and dancing and fun. The birth of the church happened at this festival, the Festival of Weeks, Pentecost. In other words, the church was birthed with this mindset of celebration and joy and generosity. In other words, start as you mean to go on, as a generous people, right? So from the overflow, they began to operate with generosity. They give the first 10%, trusting you with the rest. And when the barns are full, I'm going to go above and beyond and operate with generosity. Here's the thing about generosity. Number one, it communicates love. When you give someone a gift, like there's a good chance the gift will fade, maybe get lost, maybe run dry, right? But the love that was communicated through that gift, that will live forever. We're transformed not by the gifts, but the love that's communicated in the giving, right? The Hebrew word for love, ahava. Let's say it together. Ahava, beautiful, ahava. Um, The root word is ahav, which means to give, right? So in the Hebrew mindset, if you want to love someone, you have to become a person of generosity. And I'm not talking about just financial resources, with time, with affection, in all sorts of different ways. You can have an empty pocket and a full heart, and that can well up in rich generosity. That's the story of the church in Macedonia. That will probably be the story of our church right now. Like, there's not lots of people who are doing really, really well financially. There's a lot of empty pockets. But hopefully there'll be a lot of full hearts and it will work well up in rich generosity. If you want to learn to love, you've got to learn to give, right? Learn to operate with generosity. Secondly, it creates possibility. If I was to write you a check, and don't worry, I'm not going to, um, partly because we don't write checks anymore, but if I was to write you a sizable check, you'd go home and you'd be like, whoo, I've got a number of options here. I could put it into savings, but that would be boring. I could go on an incredible holiday with this. Um, Maybe I could pay off a bit of my mortgage. Like maybe I could quit my job and just spend the next two months writing that novel I've always been dreaming of. In other words, there's options, right? it creates worlds of possibility. When someone is generous with you, you're like, wow, how am I going to respond? Like, what do I do? Because there are possibilities that have opened up for me because of that generosity. And generosity creates worlds of possibility. Every time you give generously to an individual or to the church, there are worlds of possibility that wouldn't have been open otherwise. Number three, generosity releases joy. This is a biblical truth that comes again and again and again in Scripture, but we don't actually believe it because we don't live like this. Um, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is great to receive. I personally love receiving, really enjoy receiving. But I also know this to be true, not just biblically, but experientially. It's even more fun when you give. There is a joy in the giving that is so beautiful. Like when I do a giving Sunday like this, inviting the church to give financially, I'm not just asking people to release resources to help us pursue a vision. I'm actually inviting people to a way of living that is joy filled. Like these are disciplines and rhythms we see in scripture that enable us to live abundantly. Giving releases joy and which That which is true theologically is true scientifically. So neuroscientists call this giver's glow, right? Giver's glow. That when you give generously, chemicals are released in your brain. So endorphins, dopamine, oxytocin that releases joy, that means you begin to radiate. People can actually see you are physically glowing when you've been generous. Now here's the beautiful thing, right? There's a domino effect to this because we all have mirror neurons, right? So when someone is in pain, our mirror neurons fire up and we experience some of that pain. That creates empathy, that creates connection, right? Really powerful but the same is true with generosity. When someone's being generous, your mirror neurons fire up. You're like, I want some of that. I want, look, at, they're glowing. They're glowing. I want some of that. I want to be generous. I want to be generous, right? And therefore, one person's generosity creates generosity in the next, creates generosity in the next, creates generosity in the next, a domino effect that has power to change the world, right? By operating with generosity, So these are the three virtues behind this practice of financial giving. Gratitude, faith, generosity. Gratitude, I just want to underline it. It is so key. When you stop being grateful, like first and foremost to God, you disconnect yourself from the giver. Like We cannot afford to disconnect ourselves from the giver. Gratitude is key. If we want to live life fully, we have to live by faith and not by sight. That means there should be some dependency. If you can lean fully on your own strength and on your own resources financially and in other ways, expect not to have much faith, right? Because you don't need God. Like You don't need much faith. But when you give to the point where you have some level of dependency, Faith levels begin to rise. Gratitude, faith, and then we're meant to be marked out by generosity. Image bearers reflecting the nature of God to the world. Now, when you go on this journey, there's a mindset shift. Like the first part of the journey, top left on the screen, is my money, it's 100% mine. And I will do what I want with it, right? None of your business. My money, right? That's a mindset that's often present both in the church and outside the church. Now, with a little bit of sanctification, a bit of work of the Spirit going on, there's movement towards like, it's 100% mine, but I'm gonna give a little bit of it away because that's the kind of guy that I am, (laughs) right? So it's, it's all mine. I'm gonna give a little bit away a bit more sanctification. Do you know what? 90% is mine. I'm going to give the tithe. I'm going to give 10%, but 90% is mine. None of these so far is the biblical mindset towards giving and generosity. Here's the biblical mindset, but it takes time. Bottom right quadrant. It's 100% gods. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And I will give the first fruits, the 10%, right? Because I want to remain grateful. I want to live by faith and I want to operate with generosity. But it's all God's. So even when I give 10%, I'm giving back to God that which is already his. And every so often, I'm just going to pray a prayer, God, this is your money anyway. What do you do, want to do with your money that you've given me stewardship of, right? That's a bold prayer. Now, none of this hangs over us as a law. That's the Old Testament, right? But this is an invitation into a spirituality that's life-giving gratitude faith generosity why is this so hard some of you are asking um in the core of your being you're crying why is this so hard to do we know it's hard to do it feels like death it feels like death because part of you's dying it feels like death Because part of you is dying. Now, there is a resurrection life that emerges from this. That's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give. Beyond the death, there is a a blessing of resurrection life. Um, What part of you is dying? And the answer is it's the part of you that's attached to your resources. Finds meaning and comfort and attachment to your possessions and your resources. This is the dictionary definition of, of generosity. I love this. Um, Every so often I just read through the dictionary just to find helpful definitions. I obviously don't. Um, The dictionary definition is the virtue, and listen to this language, of being unattached to material possessions. I love that. Generosity is actually about freedom. You can only really give generously when you're free. Unattached to material possessions often symbolised by the giving of gifts or giving of time or whatever else. Um, The reality is very few of us, if any, are fully unattached. We're attached to our resources. And some of us clinging on for dear life. We're not free. We are being controlled by our income, bank balance, our resources. Jesus said this. He says, no one can serve two masters. For he'll either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, this is the only time in scripture where Jesus actually gives a name to an idol, personalizes it. And he gives a name to say like, this is really serious right now, right? I I want you to know that this God, and I'm going to give it a name, Mammon, has a power over you that is destroying your life. This is Jesus trying to say, wake up and recognise what's going on. One theologian said it like this, for Jesus, Mammon wasn't one idol among many equals. He singled it out as the direct competitor to God, right? So how many of us, feel like really unattached like it's all God's and he can do whatever he wants to do with my resources it's all from him anyway you know so I can trust and with that trust I can just be radically generous the answer is very few of us I know I don't fully inhabit that space but I want to because I want to show the world what God is like and that's what God is like So finally, how do we do this in practice? For those that want to step into this mindset that leads to human flourishing, genuinely, it leads to human flourishing. The great lie is that it won't lead you to flourishing. So you need to cling on to what you have and the clinging on, those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Jonah chapter 2. Those that cling on, they miss out on grace. So for those that want to enter this mindset, here's what you do. This is the journey towards it. It's incremental. We're all broken. We're all on a journey towards becoming more Christ-like. Here's some of the steps. Number one: give intentionally. We all want to be spontaneous givers. That spontaneous giving is second nature to us. You can't help it. Oh no! I'll I'll, I'll take that. I'll I'll pick that bill up. No, I don't worry, don't worry. We all want to be spontaneous givers, but the pathway to spontaneous giving is non-spontaneous giving. Right? Premeditated giving. I want to be the kind of guy that just can't help but be generous, right? I'm not there right now. So I need to be premeditated with my giving, intentional. Paul says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Like before it's spontaneous, you have to make a decision, right? So be intentional with your giving. Secondly, give secretly. Your left hand shouldn't even know what your right hand's doing. So don't broadcast it, you know, social media, what a joy it is to generously back this amazing campaign with the abundance of my resources. <laughs> the pleasure is all mine, right? The humble brag. Like We're so broken, we know how to do things in a certain way that actually points you know, back to us. Jesus says, like, if you go that route, the reward is you'll get a pat on the back from those around you. The reward is actually in the act of being known. This path, the reward is in heaven and it's a far greater reward. The other reward will fade. This reward will last for eternity. Your left hand shouldn't even know what your right hand's doing. Um, so give intentionally, give secretly, give regularly. <coughs> This is the power of spiritual formation. When you imitate Jesus and practice, 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 things become second nature to you. And if you're imitating Jesus and the practices of Jesus, the second nature will be the nature of Christ. So when you give regularly and you're constantly putting to death this part of you that's attached to your resources, when you give regularly, yeah, you, it becomes second nature within you to operate with Generosity. Like what you do week in, week out, it shapes who you are. These are why habits are so, so key. So give intentionally, give secretly, and give regularly, and finally give joyfully. Um, Back to the passage in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. You know, decide in your heart what to give. And then Paul goes on for God loves a cheerful giver. Do you remember the story of Israel bringing their offerings, the first fruits? They would would bring the produce, the grapes, the wheat, the barley, dancing into the temple. There we go, some sort of little jig, (laughs) depending how much they were carrying. Dancing into the temple saying, God, like you've been so generous to us. Like when we remind ourselves of the story that you liberated us, you overcame the Egyptians, led us through. When we remind ourselves of what you're like, we want to dance into your presence, right? We want to give joyfully. So in a moment when we create an opportunity to give, I don't want anyone giving out of pressure or a sense of duty or guilt within. Like if you're feeling any of that, one, I'm sorry, because that's not what I've been trying to communicate. I'm wanting to invite people towards generous, cheerful giving. So if you feel any of that, my encouragement is don't give today. Take the forms home, have a pray and see what the Lord would, would say to you. Um, but for those that are ready to give and step in, can I encourage you to do it joyfully? Now, as you dance to the front, a part of you will be dying. So there'll probably be some tears of like, I really needed this money. I was going to buy a PlayStation. I really wanted this money. So that there might be some tears like that. But what will happen is resurrection life will begin to flow. Because you'll begin to taste something deeper, something of the joy of heaven. Give intentionally, give secretly, give regularly, give joyfully. So here's what we're going after. £200,000, I've got faith that the Lord will provide um, through one-off gifts and pledges of regular giving over the next year. Um, But as part of this all in spirituality, there's lots of ways you can step further in. For some of you, maybe it's like, I'm going to commit to actually belonging and being known. Like Maybe the real invitation for you is like to step into community. Only 63% currently in hubs. Maybe your response this morning is, I want to belong. Um, 34% serve on our Sundays. Maybe some of you, it's like, do you know what? I want to give financially, but it's time that I actually started serving in the, in the context of this church. 19% serving in our ministries of compassion with local mission. Maybe some, it's an opportunity to respond in that way. And 44% currently give. Now, our dream... Our dream is one day we will share a slide like this and 100% will belong, 100% will serve on Sunday, 100% will be serving in local mission, 100% giving. That is a community that is all in and that's what we want to invite people towards. So why don't we stand? If the band want to come up. Now what, what you'll see on your chairs are a number of forms and, and this is a moment. Even if you're not part of our family, Even if you're here just as a one-off on a Sunday, there is one thing you can do. So there's a number of forms. Firstly, there's a prayer form. Everyone can fill in something like that. What is your biggest prayer for us as a church community? Just even as we have a moment in stillness, there's pens everywhere as well. Do you have a prophetic sense of what the Lord might want to say? A prophetic word. Write it down and in a minute, fold it and put it in the baskets. So everyone can play this game. What's your biggest prayer for us as a church? Thank you. That's my son. That's embarrassing. So, so, somebody take him out. I love you too, Josh. I love you too. Brilliant. Classic moments. It could have been a lot worse than I love you, Pete Hughes. <laughs> Trust me, that's a work of sanctification right there. Here's the second thing you can do. A green form. Um, if you want to serve. Like again, I, I know what I'm like. If I don't act in the moment, I probably won't act later. If you've been meaning to sign up to serve, rather I'll, I'll do it another time, I'll do it another time. You probably won't, probably won't. Um, why don't you fill it now? Do you know what? I am going to serve, either on a Sunday or in local mission. And for those that are ready to take the step, either as a one-off gift, like giving starts by just one step towards it. If you've never given before to a local church, here's your first step. It will feel like death. It will bring about resurrection life. Just give a one-off gift. If you've done that before and you realise it didn't kill me, I'm still here, you know, then maybe the next step is I'm going to give regularly, monthly. And if you're already doing that, maybe it's like, do you know what, maybe 10%, like maybe I'm going to step towards that. If you're already doing that, it's like, maybe there's something more I could do. Like this is between you and God, not between you and I. This is a conversation between you and the Lord. But if you're ready to give... You can just fill in this form here, um, a one-off gift or a regular donation. Um, and we want to do this in the context of joy. So take one of these cards, the prayer card, the serve card, the give card, or you could go onto the website. All of the um, web details are here, kexiorguk forward slash belong, serve, give, pray, and you could fill it in online.